0: I'm Isaiah if you haven't met me yet. Um, the new associate pastor or um curate, if you know the Anglican tradition. Um, and you can see that the the text that Ashley, our rector, left me with. The reason she took a vacation. She was like, I'll just let you deal with all the hard words of Jesus. So so we're gonna see what we can see. Um I think the text is a blessing, um, as all of the words of Jesus are, but um, but not initially to us, right? When we hear it, we're, we're kind of stopped in our tracks. And maybe that's not a bad thing, but um, but there's much more to it. So here's the first thing I want to say. This text comes to us in the middle of a journey segment in Luke. And I happen to love the Gospel of Luke. Maybe I should love all the Gospels, and I do, but this Luke right now is my favorite. And one of the things about it that's so unique is there's this section from chapter 9 to 19 um, where Jesus is on the road, it's a little bit like he's a little bit of a bandit. He's kind of he's got a he's got a posse with him, mm-hmm. and so so many of the teachings and parables and miracles that he's doing are in this journey kind of um, uh, movement that's going through the text. Um, and it's interesting because this this text opens to us and it says, "Now the large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them." Right. So, the first thing that we need to realize is that this is actually not just to his band of disciples. This is not to a, a group of really wholly committed followers. This is a bit of a parade. Like they, they don't really know exactly where he's going, but he does, right? And so there's, um, there's this, uh, this moment of pause where he says, do you really know what I'm about? Do you know where I'm going? Um, and do you know what that means for you? Um, and I think that's important to contextualize because um, the words can sound a little bit harsh or abrupt to us. Um, especially if they were close friends, and there are moments where he's where he's very direct with his disciples or those that are closest to him. But this is a, actually a different audience. This is a group that's kind of like like vaguely aware that he does you know signs and wonders, or he's like maybe a bit of a political figure in a certain kind of way. And they're like, this is great. Like, he's, he's doing things that feel like something's happening in our midst, right? And, and this is a really marginal part. This is a marginal part of the Roman Empire and even kind of a marginal part of, of Jerusalem, of, of uh, Israel. So um, that's the first thing to realize. Um, so as he's saying, do you know where this parade is heading? He's asking the question, do you want to follow me? I'm headed towards this. And what's he headed towards? The cross right so so this begins to Mm -hmm. take shape not just for him in the direction that he's heading but also for those who are with him and the direction that they're heading right and this is not altogether different for us today Um, one translation of this verse reads something like um, whatever person doesn't carry their own execution stake and come after me can't be my student Right, So this is the thing we do, we kind of have this, we have religious symbol, symbolism, we have the cross and necklaces and jewelry, and for a lot of good reasons, but we've, we, we mistake it, we don't quite understand it, we don't see it as the lynching tree or the electric chair or the execution stake that it really is, right? It's public humiliation. He's headed for the worst of all deaths, right? Um, and so this is a paradoxical thing because he really is who he says he is, and yet why is he going this way? So... <coughs> The parables, it's really interesting because this passage actually, both parables are about costliness, about counting the cost. The beginning has this really intense statement about family. It's not Jesus' only statement. In fact, it's not even his only statement in Luke where he says things like this. you got to hate your family. you got to hate your life. You're got all this. You're just like, whoa, Jesus, calm down. Um, and then as he ends, he says, you know, really, if you don't give up everything, you're not worthy to be my disciple. You can't, you can't do it. And so, so we're kind of left thinking like, well, who? who could possibly enter into this? And I wanna just pause on this and just kind of pay attention to some things that we might be hearing. Um, in, in the ancient world, there is a Indian and in many cultures today too, I would say, outside of the West, there is a strong, like, honor, shame, culture, um, and not that's not a bad thing at all, it's just a different way of maybe thinking about um, how status works, how identity works, um, what are we thinking about as we're um, so we're going through life? Kind of what what is the what are we made of? What uh, defines us? Um, what are the things we look to that give us meaning? Right, and so we have these things today too. Um, but I think family, in particular, in Jesus's day, was a huge deal, right? And so you hear times in the gospel. Maybe you remember this, like right, where people are like, "Well, I got to go bury my dad," like which is really like I got to spend a couple years like, and I'll wait for him to die, and then maybe I'll come. And follow you, and he's like, "No, I'm, I'm saying now, right?" And so, Jesus is pushing into something that is very deeply held, Um, and we have these things, right, in our culture too. There, there, some of them have to do with family, some of them have to do with um, our social ties, our achievements, our education, how much money we have, um, our experiences. Increasingly, my generation, I think, is like, you know, where I've traveled, what, what I've done, and you can see it on my Instagram, that kind of thing. Um, And these become kind of like sort of our our badges of honor or um, really kind of identity markers, right? Um, So another way you could hear this is Jesus saying something like, whatever circle of friends or family of origin have been the defining factors in your identity, whatever achievements or possessions you lean on as markers uh, that you're doing okay in life, um, you're gonna have to in some sense let go of these to follow me, right? because of this this you have to carry your own execution stake statement right like this is you could say it this way like in other words i'm I'm going to the lynching tree where the violence of the crowd and the indifference or the corruption of the elected officials will ultimately come will culminate in public humiliation and death that's so sobering that cuts like right to the core of kind of like where are we headed and where where is jesus headed and and I and I think that it's important to see the end as as this sort of intense death because um, we we can't take anything with us. And, and here's part of the false dilemma about this: when we hear a text like this, part of what happens to us is we we think, well, like, really, Jesus, like, what about my family? What about like these are real things, you know? <coughs> e- even in the Sermon on the Mount, he he acknowledges this, right? He's like. He talks about, you know, well, don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about, well, these are things that human beings need. We need family. We need things that we wear. We need a house over our head These are not, this is like the the hierarchy of needs. These are like really important things. So what what we shouldn't hear is Jesus saying, these are not, these are not good things. These are not gifts from God. These are not things that human beings naturally have. But what you should hear is when these good things, good gifts as they may be even from me, become the things that you hold on to instead of me, that you use for self-protection or for identity, they will keep you from following me in places where it looks really, really hard. And I think that's, for him, it's the cross, right? And for us, it's, a, it's our cross, which is not necessarily his cross, but, but there's a correspondence between the two. Um, and so he's really, he's using these analogies and these parables to talk about this. And we, we still do this today. I mean, any of you are doing a remodel on your house or you know, you're know you thinking about, you're, you're counting the cost. You're not actually uh, interested in going into debt. You're not interested in flipping your mortgage. You're not, right? Like these are things that we we still deal with. And we still have, you know, sometimes we hear the word king and we kind of think, well, that's back there, but we're right now in the middle of a war that's very costly or at least a war that we're supporting, right? so. What president right, is gonna, gonna you know, take the resources and the finances and the lives of citizens <coughs> right, into a place where there is certain defeat? No, they're gonna sit down and count the costs. They're gonna, you know, the, the, the officials will gather in the White House and the Pentagon. This is, this is the kind of speech that he's giving. And I think that's how we should hear it. Um, and I think that the point really is like that it's gonna actually cost us everything. But here's the catch you already are gonna spend your whole life on something. It's actually a false dilemma to think that you are gonna be able to just hold back a little and give your life a little bit to this and a little bit to that. But in the end, the things that we rely on for our identity markers, for our self-protection, the things that we uh, give ourselves over, you know, our possessions even, our possessions begin to possess us. Our families even, good as they may be, um, and many of you can maybe come from broken families or from families where there's toxicity, even presently right now. And I, I know some of what that is like to experience. Um, and when those things are not submitted to the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus, they become a hindrance to, um, to, to our very lives. And ultimately, they will actually cause us to lose our life. And this is something Jesus says just a couple chapters earlier in Luke. He says, whoever, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me. We'll save it. So it's a false dilemma between a life that you can control, and predict, and afford, and the radicality of joining Jesus as He goes to the cross. In the end, both ways will cost you everything. But the paradox is that when you give your life to Jesus, when—and I, I don't mean just a moment in time salvation. Don't hear it that way. But actually, your affections and the things that you dwell on, the things that you take stock of. Um, the things that you look to to find meaning in your life. When you give those over and you submit them to God, and it's a process, and it's a hard process, I I won't lie to you, Um, there is a giving of life. Remember that Jesus also said, I came to give life and life to the full, right? And, And he said, come to me all who are heavy laden and weary and burdened, right? And I'll give you rest. And he's talking to us. He's talking to the world. He's talking to all of those who would say, well, I, I, I I hear your call to death and resurrection, but it's just too much. I think that I'm going to try to run my own life. And it leaves us exhausted. It leaves us filled with anxiety and depression. And it, it puts us in a place where we feel empty and we're we're like, there's, there's a striving where it's like, we're, um, you know we're always striving, but we're never arriving, right? And and this can happen in a lot of different ways. And and I want to say too, it's not just like through the buying of things. It's not just through consumerism. It's not just through spending your days streaming Netflix or whatever. it's not just that. But it's also in the church, right? And um, there's another way that some of you may have heard this text. And I know there are folks even in the room who have who have, have probably heard this in a in a very. Um, Very sincere, but maybe very high octane. Like we we're going, we're going overseas. We're gonna sell all our possessions. We're gonna we're gonna do all the things. And maybe when you hear this text this morning, it brings up all kinds of feelings of like, how do I feel about that now? Um, Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you feel burnout from that. And I think that um, the point of this is actually not um, you not having any stuff. There are are many, especially right now. There's there's movements of minimalism. There's, you know, you can Marie Kondo, you can, you can even, even from a justice standpoint, which, and this is not even a bad thing, but just, you you know, you don't have to follow Jesus to give things away, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's actually not what he's talking about. There's actually something um, much deeper, and it has actually... Um, much more to do with the way that we relate to both people and to things, right, to first with the family, and even, he says, your own life, and then with the possessions. Um, And the thing about actually minimalism or any of those other things, they can actually become sort of their own identity marker, right? And so now my identity is not it's not keeping up with the Joneses, it's not that I've got like a new truck in my driveway or whatever. It's actually that I don't have a truck in my driveway, right? And I ride my bike and I whatever, just whatever the thing is, it's like I can put everything I own in a backpack and look how free I am, you know. But in reality I'm still bound up with my relationship with materiality with my possessions, you know. Um, sometimes we do that with relationships, we're like, okay, well, the answer is just, you know, I don't want to be a mesh with my family, so therefore I'm going to be free from all connections, right? This is not what Jesus is talking about. That would be, that would be a, a, a simple thing, and if it, was, if it brought freedom, that would be one thing, but it really doesn't, right? And so we find ourselves often still just as isolated, still just as uh, self-consumed, just caught up with our own, um, like preoccupied with our own selves. But there's actually a life that he's trying to bring us. But it it has to go through the cross. It's it's the it really is the death and resurrection. And there's this interesting thing, right? Because Jesus is the one who's going to the cross. But you know, the Apostle Paul will say later, like you know, like you were died and you you're buried with him, right? And and that's how you know that you'll be raised with him. And in some sense, all of the new creation, you know. Not, not only human beings, but especially human beings, those who are in God's kingdom, are being renewed from the inside out, right? And so this is the kind of life abundant. This is the good life that Jesus has for us. There's, there's a good life. Um, Jesus is asking us to draw a distinction between, and this is the same for the disciples and it is for us, between our vision of the good life, whichever version of it is, accumulate all the things, Marie Kondo, your stuff, whatever it is, um, and what it means to follow him and to see that those things may not be the same and at times may not even be compatible. In fact, they could be actually antagonistic to Jesus and his way. In fact, you might have to renounce one in order to do the other. And are you sure that you could do that if you had to? This is the question we need to be asking ourselves. Are we sure that we could do that if we had to? When the Holy Spirit puts, like, you know, nudge, however the Holy Spirit speaks to you, we use these words nudge or puts his finger on or whatever it is. But the sense of like, you know what? Like, there's there's something about my life that is like incongruent with the way that God wants to do family, the, God, the way that God wants to do my my possessions. Um, are we free enough to be able to to say yes to what God is asking us? That's the question. Um, you know, there's a vision of the good life that our culture has for us, and we'd like to believe that it's Jesus' uh, vision for our life, or at the very least, it's compatible. Um, and so maybe Jesus is saying, maybe at some points that is, um, but, but when, when and if it's not, would you be able to renounce one for the other? That's how we should hear this passage. Um, and you should ask yourself, who do I feel pressured to be? Um, wh- what life do I feel pressured to have? And it's, it's, it's not just that the culture's told you you should, but you've been conditioned to want it. Thats something I mean it's it's getting more and more meta as we go right as we're on our all these devices that we have with us all the time and um you know my brother so funny about this he he always talks about how he, he's like i don't care if they they take my information they they send me things i like so you know it's i just lean into it i'm giving them all the information on you know whatever facebook or even <laughs> and i'm like all right that's one strategy but it's but that's like that's kind of a it's it's humorous but it's kind of funny right because you know in some ways it's like we hate it and we're like we feel like no 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 we got to you know and we make our attempts at privacy and whatever um, but in another way it's, it's hard to say no to something who's giving you everything that you kind of think you might want, right? And cultivating those kind of desires and conditioning us for that. So, you know, who do you feel pressured to be? What have you been conditioned to want? These are questions that Jesus would have us ask. And are you sure, sure that you could choose against it? If it was between, like, the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, the way of death and resurrection... Could you, could you look at the things that you've been conditioned to want, a life you feel pressured to have, the status that you have been striving to attain, you know, but is, you're never arriving at? And could you, could you say yes to the one who says, come to me all who are heavy and weary, and burdened, heavy laden? Could you say yes to the God who wants fullness of life, abundant life, right? And could you choose that vision of the good life? It's not that Jesus doesn't have a vision of the good life. He clearly does. It's just that it's not always compatible with ours, right? And And I just want to underline this too. I think there's a real sense where we um, especially in the West, but all over the globe we we are so um, we're so consumed with the things that are in front of us, the things that we're being offered and um, you would think that we would be like the happiest people. You know, we th- you would think that with all of our, our healthcare and our affluence and our technology, um, that we would just be like the happiest people on the planet. And it's just manifestly not so, right? And we have like epidemic, e- e- I can't even say this word. Um, uh, we have huge levels of isolation, disconnection, um, meaninglessness, um, fracturing of relationships, we don't know what to do with our political situation we don't know what to do with most of our institutions right now and i don't say that to you know to spread like hopelessness or anything like that i think that that's something god is obviously very engaged with and aware of and i think there's a lot of reason to be hopeful about the world but it is to say that if if more things could solve the ache that we feel right if um, just being really devoted to your family and just being the best mom that you could be um, would ultimately solve, like, the, the crisis of meaninglessness, um, you know, then we'd be the happiest people. But we're not, and I think we have to ask ourselves why. And so that goes back to this false dilemma. Like, we hear the words of Jesus, and first they sound like hard words, but, but maybe they're the words, like, of a friend who's actually telling you the truth or, or a mentor that's actually, like, like close enough and loves you enough. You know, I think of the rich young ruler. Maybe some of you know the story where Jesus I love in Mark's gospel, it says he looks at him and he loves him, right? And then he says, you know, as I did all these things, I'm following all the law. And he said, okay, that's good. That's really good. He doesn't scold him for that. And then you're going to sell your possessions, give them to the poor and and follow me. And he looks at him and he loves him and he says that to him. And and the guy walks away sad, you know, not angry, sad. Um, I think because he was just not free enough to do that. And let's not be those kind of people who are not free enough to say yes to the Jesus who looks at us and loves us and says, That thing that you're grabbing a hold of, that you're gravitating towards, that you're holding up as your identity, actually, do you possess it or is it beginning to possess you? Like, is it actually going to take your life in the end, you know? And so you feel like it's this dilemma between holding on to your life or losing it through this like grisly way of the cross, death and resurrection. Or is it actually kind of a false dilemma, and in the end, like, you're going to lose your life either way. Um, but at least in this way, there's resurrection, right? There's actually renewal. And not just in the future, but in the present, by the Spirit, right? Through the body of Christ. And that's that's what we're centered and gathered around here today. Um, I just want to share a little bit of my own kind of journey with this. Um I joked that this was a hard text and then Ashley gave me this text because she, you know, this is the week she had to take off, of course. But um, actually, the first thing I thought when I read this was, wow, it's very it's very timely. Um, because that's been Elise and I's story for the last year and a half. And um, not in some kind of noble way. I don't know that I feel like I'm even doing it that well. But um, the leaving a family, um, for those of you who don't know, like, about a year and a half ago we moved to Atlanta um, and we just had been in a long discernment process to do that that's kind of where we got connected with the Matthews and source the long story of course we're we're here now and so now we've had you know two cross-country moves in you know um, less than two years And, and I was thinking about this because I'm really close to my family and I love them and it was actually really hard three weeks ago saying goodbye. I never really get choked up saying goodbye to people, but you know, I, I can almost look my dad in the eye and say goodbye. You know, It's just hard Like, just get choked up. So there's that, I think. There's a, and that's a sweet thing in the sense of like you miss people that you love and you have a good connection with, and that's something that's true my, me and my family, I think for Lisa and hers. So, so that's sad. It's hard to live so far away. Our family lives on the West Coast. Um, But actually, I think the thing that's the most uh, difficult, the most paralyzing for me uh, and my hardest moments is, um, you know, we spent, myself specifically, I spent 15 years in the same, actually in a college town, not altogether different than Fayetteville in some ways, but the Oregon version of that, I guess. And, um, you know, after uh, enough time in a space like that, uh, there's a lot of momentum. And so everything that I was doing in ministry and life it's like one thing kind of just led to the next thing, and you're known and it feels good and it's not even necessarily all a bad thing, right, but it's just this kind of this sense of like you know there's a there's a, making a lateral movement or even a forward movement into whatever that looks like, whatever new job there is, or whatever ministry stuff we're doing for me at least. Um, you know it was just kind of it was sort of intuitive and there was a lot of like affirmation, especially from older leaders. And I just had a really good relationship with a lot of pastors in our town. And so, you know, that was a that was a good space for me. And I actually didn't hate it. It wasn't like we were leaving that, you know, because we were just like, this is terrible. We gotta get out of here. Um, but it was actually, we were trying to be obedient to what we were sensing, you know, in part, at least as, as much as we could tell that we were, the Lord was calling us on this kind of a journey. And now he has us here. And, um, and so coming into this space, I feel, you know, again, in my worst moments, very stripped, um, uh, of those things, like n- not coming in with a ton of relationship, not coming in with a lot of like just being known, I'd say status. But it doesn't feel like it quite captures it, but you, I think you kind of know what I'm saying. And, um, and I don't know that I'm doing like amazing at it. You know, I think that it's hard and I don't want to, I don't want to present something that's like a, a, some kind of like super Christian or superhuman way. Um, but it's but it is worth it. And it's and I do feel very encouraged by y'all. I do feel encouraged to do this together. And I do feel encouraged by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so um, yeah, maybe there's just an invitation there. I just wanted to share just a little bit of my own kind of um, story, just because um, it's, it's just real life, right? This is not just like scripture and this kind of abstract thing in the ancient world and all the all stuff we're talking about but this is like here and now, this is flesh and blood this is like the aches that we feel when we're separated from those we love and the um, feeling of maybe making a movement that feels counterintuitive where we don't carry all of the, the things that we um, are known for and our identity markers and that we feel like maybe we've built up or um, and, and I don't know what those things are for you but... But I think the Lord does, and um, I just want to encourage you that we can do this together.